Okay, well, uh, enough of me now, and all that's remaining is for me to introduce to you Mark and Joe and Matt, three of our worship leaders today who, um, you know, lead us in worship on a regular basis in singing before God. And then uh, I want them to share their passion and their heart for it, you know, because in our Reset series, which is like really looking at the New Testament church and how they functioned, it talks about how they worship from their homes and in the temple, and they were, were a worshipping community. And that's what we want to be as well. And so let's just hear what they have to say. And we trust that as you listen, you too will be inspired again. That worship is a key fundamental element to our Christian faith and walk before the Lord. Thanks guys. Hi, I'm Jo and I'm really, really privileged to be with you today as we look at the subject of encounter within worship. This excites me and it makes me think when we come into worship times, what is Father going to do today? What is going to happen? What is he going to speak over us and see what happens in his presence? Encounter for me is sharing a special moment with my Heavenly Father. It doesn't have to have rainbows in the sky or writing on the wall, but actually it can be a gentle or powerful moment of just coming into his presence where he can speak to us. It's a place where hope can be restored. It's a place where faith can come for situations that we're in and receive healing and, and just be in his presence and so much can happen. The Bible is full of people who encounter God. We know of Abraham who, when he encountered God, God spoke to him and said, I, your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. We know Jacob had an open heaven encounter. Moses met with God and his face shone with the glory of the Lord. Wouldn't you just love to see that? Joseph had dreams that changed his life. We had Mary who broke the alabaster jar and in his presence, she was changed. There was a special moment there. Peter, Peter's mother-in-law, she was healed when she was in the presence of Jesus. And Mary and Martha, Martha, Mary sat at his feet and was just intimate, was just in his presence and learned so much from him. She was changed. And then, of course, Saul, who changed his name to Paul, when he encountered Jesus, it affected the whole of Christianity across the world. Now, in the Old Testament, in my daily readings, I've been reading about the temple of, for the people of Israel, where they came in in the presence of God was, where the Ark of the Covenant came in and was put in the inner sanctuary. And I've been reading about it, and it sounds incredible, this place that is full of creativity, it's colourful, it's beautiful, it's all very, very well planned, it's delicate, it's, it's gorgeous, and I almost, I just think, wouldn't you just love to go into that place and just be in the presence of God in that place when he when his glory filled the temple and he came into the room I just would love to do that but for us we don't have to go to a temple we don't have to go to a building even though we've got some cracking buildings in our churches we are the temple of the Holy Spirit we have Christ living in us we are the church and this is where the presence of God is. We can, we can have the presence of God with us any point, any time, anywhere in our daily lives 24-7. And why is this? This is because of the reason that Father God gave his one and only son Jesus 
for you and me. So he died on the cross so we can have relationship with the Father. And this is incredible because what it actually means is that when in the temple, when the curtain was torn in two, when Jesus died, this, this curtain was torn in two and it, it's like a picture of access of us coming into relationship with God. He's saying the invitation is there. You can come straight into my presence, which is incredible. He loves connection with us. Father loves intimacy. He loves family. Now, there's loads in the Bible where it says about, about this, to confirm this. It says in James 4, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That's such an invitation. 1 John says that we should be called children of God. That's children of family. They're not slaves, they're not servants, but they're family. He calls us family. It says Proverbs 8, those who seek me will find me. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. He wants relationship. He wants to be with us in that quiet place. Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy. This is life-giving when we come into his presence. It's so much fun. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And I don't know what you think about yourself, whether you believe that what God says, that you are a competent, skilled, capable person who is a minister of the Holy Spirit who brings life, or whether you listen to lies that you speak over yourself or others can say over you that that take away the truth of this transformation of knowing God as we encounter him. You might be quick to listen to lies that say that you're not significant, that you don't make a difference, that what is the point of God using me when there are so many other better people on this planet that he can use? What about God doesn't have a plan for me? Are those lies that you listen to? Because that is not the truth of who God says over you. It's not the truth. He wants encounter. He wants relationship with you, not just other people that you have in your mind, but you. Comparison is a killer. In Acts 4.13, it says that Peter and John were ordinary, unschooled men. But we read later in Acts that these ordinary, unschooled men turned the world upside down for Jesus. And ordinary people do extraordinary things when they encounter God. And I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those people that do extraordinary things for Jesus. And we want to show the world Jesus, right? We want to show the world how amazing this Jesus is, how incredible he is. But we can't give away what we don't have. We can't give away what we don't have. We need an encounter from our Father so we can be an encounter for the world. And you know what our vision statement is? A transformed people who transform the world. That's so cool. I love that. A lovely quote from D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist in the 19th century said, I do not know of anything that America needs more today than men and women on fire with the fire of heaven. And I have yet to find a man or woman on fire with the spirit of God that is a failure. I believe it is utterly impossible. They are never discouraged or disheartened. They rise higher and higher and it grows better and better all the while. My dear friends, if you haven't this illumination, make up your mind that you're going to have it. Pray, oh God, illuminate me with your Holy Spirit. Woo! So as we worship, as we come to that place, we want to encounter Jesus. We want to illuminate him. We want to be more like him. So in worship, what do we expect? Is it just a nice time that we can just sit and sing some nice songs and have a lovely, lovely time? Or is it just like listening to a fabulous band? 
who knows? But are we coming with expectation that we are going to meet the King of Kings, that our Heavenly Father is going to speak to us, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells among his people? Expectation, expectation, expectation is the key. Say the word expectation. Yes. So let us come with a heart of expectation, of excitement as we worship, as we come into his presence, as we focus our thoughts on Jesus. Then we become more like him on the inside and the outside. James 4, draw near to me and I will join near to you. Our invitation is there and it's all ready. Now I was gonna do a um, activation, but we didn't have time for that. So I'm gonna give it to you as homework. So this is really exciting. So 10 minutes this week, what I'd like you to do is get some time on your own and God curl up on a sofa you might be want to be on a beach you might want to be on like all tucked up in your bed you never know with a nice cup of tea take 10 minutes get a song going on your phone or where on whatever you listen to and ask father this tell me your unique thoughts about me ask him tell me your unique thoughts about me listen to him speak and then write them down be prepared though be prepared because the words that he speaks over you are going to be life-changing they're going to be full of love and they're going to be full of value. And this is what the, the, your father says over you. Not words of what the world's definition says that you are, but what your father says over you. So be expectant. Have fun in his presence. I'm excited about what father is going to say to you as, as you listen to his voice. Remember, if we want to be an encounter, we need an encounter with Jesus. So have fun this week as you do this. And God bless. Do you like my curtains? I hope so, but we do get quite a lot of different reactions to them. Obviously my wife Rachel and I love them, or we wouldn't have them hanging in our house. But they're not just there to look fantastic, they also have a job to do. They hang over the doors to our conservatory, which separates the dining room from the garden. Curtains are often used to divide things, and the Old Testament talks about a very significant curtain. This one hung in the temple, the place where the people of God worshipped. But this curtain wasn't like my curtain. This curtain was six inches thick. It was a serious curtain for a serious purpose. It marked the boundary of the place where the most holy God's presence rested. The presence of God is truly awesome. When God is present in all his fullness, evil can't remain. And what's broken can't stay broken. Selfishness bolts for the door. Sickness runs for the hills. Oppression is blown away like a morning mist and unimaginable wonders are given breath. 
So this most holy place where people encountered God, where worship was at its most reverent, was very special indeed. Only one person, the high priest, was allowed in. And he could only go in once a year, and even then only after offering special sacrifices for his sins. No one else would ever have even dared set foot in there. Coming to worship the one true God up close was not something you would do lightly. Actually, the curtain in the temple was only a symbol of what really separated people from God. There was something much more significant than a super chunky piece of material. What really kept people away from God is the same thing that still does. It's our choice to live apart from him, to trust ourselves more than we trust him. And all the selfishness, anger, pride, hate, fear, envy that results and has horrifically spoiled humanity from what we're truly meant to be. The curtain was there as a mercy. People had become ruined. And if they stood in the presence of a holy God, they may not even have survived. God and humanity had to stand apart. Although it may seem strange now in the church where we quite often talk about meeting with God or encountering God, that separation, that distance, stayed for centuries. But there were always glimpses, always promises of something better, something fantastic, something miraculous to come. And finally, one day, that something came. His name was Jesus. Jesus did incredible things during his life, but none of them were quite as incredible as what he did when he died. You see, God's plan was never just to be feared or admired from afar. He ached to bring us right up close to him, to make us part of his family, to have us back where we truly belong. That was going to take more than a few animal sacrifices made by a priest. So Jesus came as the final sacrifice. In his death, he paid the penalty for every last self-centred or unloving thing that any one of us has ever thought, done or said. Everything which made up that barrier between us and God was swept away by Jesus in that one action of his death. And on that day, the curtain in the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And now, like the light coming from the window next to me, God's presence wasn't going to be confined to one tiny room in the temple, that had never been his heart. He had always wanted to dwell, to live with his children, and now he could. Hebrews 10 verse 19 in the New Testament says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. This is incredible news. Nothing can stop us from coming near God. Once we've trusted in Jesus for forgiveness, we have complete freedom to enjoy our new relationship with God. We can worship him any time of the day or night. Do you know what, though? Sometimes things do seem to get in the way. There can be moments or periods when we can struggle coming to God, to worship him, to talk to him or hear from him, or to involve him in our lives. If there's no barrier between us and God, what's going on? Well, that's why this verse talks about drawing near to God. 
Because there's one thing that can stop me making the most of my relationship with God. Me. But not in the way that you might think. Is it possible for me to do something to so displease God that he wants to keep me away? Amazingly, the answer is no. Jesus' sacrifice is complete. He paid for everything I've ever done wrong and ever could do wrong. There's nothing I could do that is too horrible that I can't come to God, be forgiven and move on. But if I think it's too horrible, if I feel too ashamed, I can withdraw from him or at least keep my distance a bit. Actually, it doesn't have to be a horrible thing. Maybe I'm not performing well enough at work. Maybe I can't kick my chocolate raisin habit. Maybe I just shout at the children again, like I always seem to. Maybe I've just lost my job and it feels like it's my fault. Well, what if it even is my fault? But this verse tells us that it's God himself who cleanses our hearts from a guilty conscience. It's him who washes us when we get our hands dirty. If he'd wanted you to sort yourself out before you approached him, he wouldn't have come up with a plan which involved his own son dying to take away all your guilt and shame so that you can stand before God the Father blameless. On the other hand, perhaps there's something I'd rather hide. Perhaps I'd prefer to avoid God talking to me about my tax return or my browser history. Or perhaps I don't want to hear him telling me yet again that it's time I forgave my sister. I might be quite happy just kind of bumbling along, going through the motions, keeping God at arm's length. But unless I come to God with a sincere heart, as this verse says, I'm holding myself back from experiencing the full extent of his love. I'm going to miss out on the very essence of life itself. There can be all kinds of reasons, all sorts of voices in our heads telling us why we can't or shouldn't run to God with open hearts in abandoned adoration. Maybe you're comparing your relationship with God to someone who seems holier than you do. Maybe you haven't prayed enough this morning. Maybe you haven't prayed at all this morning, or this week, or since Christmas. Maybe you just don't feel close to God. Maybe your past feels ever-present. Maybe you've lost someone or something precious to you and it all just seems too painful. Maybe you've hoped and then been disappointed. Even in that moment, when you hear a barrage of voices or screaming at you to keep away, you can make a choice to trust God and to come close. Because those voices are lying to you. There is nothing that can or should keep you apart from him. There's only one thing that counts. Jesus died for you. Everything else is propaganda. The way into God's presence is open. All you have to do is walk in. Hi. Hello, hello. I'm here in my isolation inspiration station. How's your lockdown going? Mornay's asked me to talk about worship through the trial and what it meant for us to worship God at a time when we were struggling to move house.
But rather than sit here and talk about it, we're going to go for a walk. Oh, I've been practicing my basketball. Michael Jordan, in first time. In first time. In first time. In first time. This is our house. We moved in in April 2017, but the story of how we got here started in October 2012. We were fast outgrowing our two-bedroom flat with two growing little girls and another one on the way. So we put the flat on the market. We got a good offer within a couple of weeks and we started looking for a house. To spare you the gory details, between October 2012 and April 2017 when we moved into our property, we had about six different buyers for our flat that pulled out for a variety of reasons. We had offers accepted on three different houses. We got some way down the line trying to buy them before they fell through. Eventually, we decided that we would just sell the flat and move into rented accommodation. In January 2017, we bought the house we now live in. We had overlooked the house as a bit tired and dark, but with a bit of imagination, a bit of renovation, and a lot of help from some friends, we got it sorted and by April we had moved in. So what does it mean to worship God through the trial? I'm gonna talk about worship in two senses. And the first sense is worshiping God through song. The second is to define worship as living life in the direction and pursuit of God, meaning that it's the whole of your life. Everything you do, everything you say, and everything you think. During the years we were trying to move, I was regularly involved in leading worship at church. I was determined to declare that which I knew to be true of God, even when my experience of life was throwing up all kinds of difficult questions. I wanted to be faithful to God as he's faithful to me. And interestingly, during that whole time, I never really felt like I wanted to stop worshipping. Even though I was discouraged, I never felt overwhelmed. It was only after we had moved into our house that I felt God say very clearly that I should have a break from leading worship. So the other thing is to deal with the elephant in the room, and that is basically that some of you will be sitting there rightly thinking that you have either lived through or are living through something that is way worse than what we had to deal with trying to move house. Maybe you're dealing with sickness, bereavement, uh, loneliness, financial hardship. Maybe this whole thing with a lockdown has been a real struggle for you. I hear that. And I want you to know that my heart for you in this is that some of the principles of what we lived through and trying to worship through that time will be there to help you during whatever you face. Oi. One thing I love about the Bible is the staggering authenticity of its heroes. These days, you'd never get it past a publisher. There's so much of it that just isn't on message. Heroes disappoint. The faithful are found faithless. God's people turn their back on him. And even Jesus' friends deny knowing him. Yet the story and purposes of God are worked out 
in and through those kinds of people. Job, Abraham, Ruth, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, and of course Jesus himself, all suffered and all continued to worship God by determining to live their lives towards God and in line with his will. So I'm going to give you three hacks for the trial. Hack number one, know the truth about God. Mind yourself of what the Bible says about God. Read stories about what he does. Remind yourself also about the things he's done in your life. John 8 verse 32 says, Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God's character is unchanging. He is full of love and power and truth. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Hack number two, be authentic about who you are. People are different. People need to process things in different ways. God understands who you are and he created you that way. In Psalm 139, David writes, Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. The nature of how you work through the trial will change massively depending on who you are. But you need the freedom to be able to work through things in a way that speaks to your heart and gives you time to heal. Hack number three, don't hide away. When you're going through these sorts of things, it could be hard to be around people who seem very confident about things which are a battle for you. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But I'd not only encourage you to remain, but to look harder, because for all of those people that are worshipping boldly, I guarantee you that there's a story of someone who has lived through some of what you have lived through and maybe would be able to get alongside you and encourage you in whatever you face. I know it's a weird thing to say to not give up meeting together when actually we have to stop meeting together with everything that's going on at the moment. But actually it's an attitude of heart and it's about how much are you looking towards other people to support you and how much are you in contact with them. In the time when I put down my guitar, it's quite difficult to explain what happened. But in the months that followed when I was walking and running up here, God ministered to my soul the legacy of the years when we didn't really know what was going on began to lift off my shoulders and I began to taste and see the Lord's goodness again. I think of it like this, all of the truths we know about God, his love, his favour, his goodness towards us are like a blanket and sometimes life is difficult in a way that makes us want to push away that blanket in the same way my girls do when they're uncomfortable trying to get to sleep. But just as I go to the girls while they're asleep and draw the blanket over their shoulders so they can sleep properly, so the Father draws alongside us by his spirit and in his love to bring in his peace. I know we only have small mountains in Dorset, but look at it. How beautiful is that? Oh, the wind, the
So God didn't just give us a house which had loads of amazing perks that we hadn't really thought about, like the girls being able to play outside and me being able to come out here to run and walk. He did something, but more than that, God gave me back his peace. He told me to pick up my guitar and to go again. Mm -hmm.